Uh, just talk into the mic for a second. Okay, so. how's this? I'll say is it again. this good? Yeah, I love I gay this. porn. What? Don't say that. <laughs> Shalom, everyone. What a nasty day it is downtown in New York City. One week removed from Election Day, two weeks away from everyone's favorite holiday, Thanksgiving, unless you're an American Indian, of course. So the season has begun, so let's start the fun. It's the podcast you love with some help from above. And it all starts right now. Well, here we are on the 15th day of uh, Heshvan (laughs) (laughs) with my guest and very close friend for many, many years, Miss Susie, Susan Silverman. Do you care if it's Susie or Susan? Well, from you, I expect Susie. Oh, okay. Can you just move your mic closer? You like that, don't you? What? Moving the mic closer? (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, gay porn. Never mind. <laughs> Just because it's on my refrigerator doesn't mean you have to have Tourette's. <laughs> I keep saying it all the time. You know, it's funny is that when Sarah was here, who is your sister, oh, who right. is a big, I don't know, Democrat or something, oh. um, sh- that's all she was talking about. <laughs> I love gay porn. Well, and every guest I've ever had here has never mentioned it once. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's <laughs> like this big sign in the middle of your fridge. I know it's weird when the kids come over and see it. Last um, Sunday, I had my friend Lee and his kids came over and they're like, Daddy, what does I love gay porn mean? <laughs> well, do you remember? Yes, of course I remember. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you brought your students over that time. Yes. And I just happened to have, I mean, I don't know what happened that day. I just happened to have some porno on, I guess. I yes, you, you know. did. And I was bringing my confirmation. I'm a rabbi. and I was You're a rabbi? My, well, I didn't know. My confirmation students to talk to a Jewish comedian in New York. Well, you messed up. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I did. And now, Whose fault was that? Listen, everybody knows you love porn. And uh, <laughs> I just thought the kids should know what their rabbi was up to. And uh, didn't that kind of make you a cool rabbi? Yeah. <laughs> the kids loved. They didn't seem to mind. Yeah, Why well, was it on? I don't think I put it on to shock it. Was it, no, was it already it was just, just that on? No, we were going to show them a clip of something and it went on and all of a sudden like, and you had this screen that was like the size of the wall and I like... At that time, yeah, it was big. Jumped in front of this big screen like, with my I think I out. just always had the Playboy channel on. Oh, you know, we had that one of those... That was it. That we had one it. of those cable boxes that had it. So I think if I was showing like a VHS tape that exactly after it finished, it. it just happened that to pop on. I mean, it's... Uh, I was one of the last people to get rid of the Playboy channel. I, you know, I, I, I had it up till five years ago, you know, like when nobody still subscribed, it was $15 a month and I couldn't get rid of it because I had it since 1987 and I just couldn't bring myself to get rid of it. And now in this day and age, you, you know, it's just, now it just sounds creepy, you know, so Susie, uh, <laughs> no, um, listen, Susie Silverman, rabbi. Susie Silverman Abramowitz. Do you ever use your no, last name? No. Never. Like, should I not a have Silverman. divulged that? Or? No, it doesn't matter. Just for just and our kids, like, we never quite decided what their last name was going to be. So some of them use Silverman, and the others use Abramowitz. Oh yeah. 
you live in Israel, mm-hmm. which is why this is a really big deal for you to be here. I flew in for this. <laughs> no, it's um, it's it's really kind of awesome. Thank you so much for coming. And, I would um, do anything for you. You're the best. And I went to go see you speak, uh-huh. uh, which was super fun because um, you were the most entertaining speakers I've ever seen. I was never bored. Um, Susie has written a book called Casting Lots. You're not going to believe this. I purchased it, which is right here, and then I read it. Whoa. I know. I've never, I haven't read a book since To Live and Die in L.A., the novelization in 1988. <laughs> I mean, this was a big... Oh, you know what? I read The Da Vinci Code. That was really good. And then Casting Lots. Uh, I haven't read a book. I don't read. I play Candy Crush, and I watch a lot of TV. <laughs> so this was like a big deal for me. So what got you where you are today. <laughs> I'm a lucky boy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I saw you lecture about international adoption, and... Um, I, really, it was, uh, you're so good <laughs> at speaking. Thank you. I don't know whether you ever knew this about me, but, and uh, by the way, when I do my show, most of the guests don't speak. I, okay. I do no, all the talking I'm happy for everybody. Just to listen. So, yeah, so you yeah. know. Um, I might let you talk later. Okay. I did this when I had Obama on too. I just, I cannot. Sorry, I didn't mean for you to do this fit take. <laughs> you actually cannot say something funny when I'm drinking. It's sorry about that. I didn't think it was that funny. It's known. <laughs> but um, I, my family is friends with the guy that discovered the Big Bang Theory. The act, not this TV show, but <laughs> the actual Big Bang Theory, the way the Earth. His name is Arno Penzias, and in the seventies, you know, my that was my only parents' friend. Like my dad was an idiot and wouldn't let uh, he didn't allow any other friends which is maybe where my niece gets it from i don't know <laughs> maybe right you can't say that oh she knows that's why she's not my sister tells her not to listen to the podcast um <laughs> she knows i bash her non-stop on the podcast because she really gets on my nerves but you know what i had her on the 100th podcast she bashes me back okay so it's cool as like, she as gives she me does. a lot of shit yeah All right, good. yeah so she kind of gets it which is why i like her but um yeah, so we were friends with this guy, Arno Penzias, and he won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1979 for discovering the, the way the universe was created. It's a small <laughs> little project he was working on. Um, or the but theory, he didn't have a podcast. The theory. No, he didn't have a podcast. He's not that cool. But he discovered the theory. About, I mean, it's, when you think about it, it's so ridiculous. You know, he like got all this money and lecturing and you know, won the Nobel Prize for, I have a theory, you know, I have a theory that podcasts are going to go out of style soon. I should get some sort of reward or money for that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so we knew this guy and he would come over and it was exciting. We took pictures with him, you know, and my friends knew that I knew him. And then we'd go see him lecture. And I was a little boy. I mean, he did the best he could on trying to explain to people. I mean, they get paid a lot of money. For the guy who discovered the creation of the universe to come talk at a temple or something like that, you know, <laughs> and to listen to him talk. And he's trying to explain it to regular folk, but it, it's boring. I mean, it's really because it, his candor is boring. You know, he just didn't. Did I use that word correctly? It's not it was, it would be cadence. I don't know. Anyway, he, he's just <laughs> dull. Um, and then, of course, he left his wife. And his kids hate him. Oh. But, but, oh my God, Susie. What? Oh my God. 
this is amazing that this came up. His daughter became a rabbi. No. Yes. She was the first one I knew before you. Her name, she changed her name to Shifra. I thought maybe you knew her. Shifra Penzias? Yes. 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 No, no. Yes. Oh, you just figured it out? Oh, I thought you knew her. Damn it. But it sounds really familiar. Her name sounds really familiar. Oh, God. I thought you knew her. That would have been so unbelievable. Because there's no way you couldn't have known her. I mean, it's like, how many? uh, Why did I know so many female rabbis? Well, you introduced me to a whole bunch of female rabbis, right? right? But then I knew this other one. Back in the day of the Shabbat dinner. Yeah. Well, I wasn't even saying. Yeah, I guess so. That's what I was saying, too. I mean, that was was the best when you would have Shabbat dinners on Friday nights. Susie would at she lived on Fourth Street down on Second Avenue in the East Village, and lived in this apartment, and have, would have these wonderful Friday night dinners. Now, you know I am a Hebrew, but uh, it's very rare to go to a, a lovely Friday night dinner. You know I don't have a lot of friends that are religious like that, and it's not more as religious as it is just a wonderful custom to get everybody together. Uh, at the table and those were some of the best times I ever had in my life those were really great because they were like half comedians like you and Sarah's crowd and half rabbinical students (laughs) right and it was great and it's really I think because of that that for the past five or six years in Jerusalem I have a Sunday morning Torah study class that's rabbis and comedians in Jerusalem no way it's so great yeah well I know you were kind enough to invite my mother uh, to your Friday night dinner. I love your mother. It, really? Yes. No one ever says that. Of course. Um, it's funny. My sister and I have been missing her a lot lately. We miss our old mother. The what? one that was nice and kind. This one's a little... I don't know. She's changed a little bit. <laughs> but um, but you were so kind enough to invite her over when she was in Jerusalem to your Friday night dinner. And um, I don't know whether she had a good time or not. Because she's weird. But thank you for including her. I love that was your a mom. really nice deal. Rhoda is awesome. Well, you know, there's so much to discuss. I, your husband, you you talk about yourself being married, right? You know, like a Taylor Swift or something, pretending like you're not. No, I'm just kidding. Like, wouldn't that be funny? You're like, I don't talk about my husband. I want people to think I'm single. It's good for the lecture circuit. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's much better on the concert tour. I've always been so fascinated by your husband, Yosef, who is. I explain to him I explain him to people all the time because if you look at him he's the depiction of the word nerd of and where it came from and I believe in the actual dictionary there's a picture of him yes uh, I mean he's got the worst eyesight in the history of time <laughs> <laughs> which uh, your lovely kids inherited unfortunately yes. uh Mr. Magoo glasses um and it's just, he's just, he's, he's adorkable. adorable. He's adorable. That's excellent. Right, right. So you see him and you're just like, uh, you know, what is, what is this? What is this? But this guy is the real deal. And I always compare him to, because he's a fighter for the cause. Mm-hmm. And, and I always compare him to, and I don't know if you've ever heard this comparison before, because I'm sure you haven't, but I don't know if you've heard my comparison of him before. Do you know the movie Casablanca? Yeah. I think of him as Victor Laszlo. Um, you know, because this, you know, you have Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid, Mer- Ingrid Bergman, and Victor Laszlo in the little, little love triangle. Right. And Ingrid Bergman is with Victor Laszlo, who's very handsome, very vanilla. And, you know, hun- hun- Humphrey Bogart is the, the bad boy. Right. Who, you know, he's just like, that makes sense, for even though he's kind of disgusting. But um, 
it makes sense for her to be in love with him because he's the epitome of cool. Right. Humphrey Bogart in that movie especially, I mean, it's just cool. Uh-huh. And he runs this huge, big cafe, which is amazing. And, you know, it, it, was it Morocco or wherever they are? I don't know. France somewhere, right? No. I'll, it'll come to me. Okay. Um, and... Casablanca. Oh, it is Casablanca. That's the name of the town? <laughs> I never know. But um, anyway, so in the movie, she's in love with both guys. And you can't... When the movie begins, you can't figure out what she sees in Victor Laszlo. She, obviously, she was like, I went out with the bad boy. Now I'm going out with somebody straight-laced because this is what I want. But as the movie progresses, you see how badass he is in a completely different way than Humphrey Bogart, where he fights for the cause, where he stands up to the Nazis in the bar when they're trying to play their Wagner music or whatever, and he starts singing the French national anthem and sits down the Nazis in a, a very almost polite fashion without violence or anything, but just stands up for the cause. And that is the way I picture your husband. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because he's the man and he's so cool. And it's a, you guys make such an um, unbelievable couple. It's too bad you don't come back here and help. <laughs> come back and help. To the States and, and help the cause here. But uh, uh, yeah. Now, I mean, because, you know, I work with people that apparently do work with your husband. Really? Yeah, because isn't he trying to make Israel completely solar? Yeah, well, he um, he brought the field of solar energy to Israel, and so <laughs> now it's they're building fields, but he's now moved his focus to developing nations. So he, uh, he built a, a huge solar field uh, in Rwanda on the land owned by a youth village for like orphans from the genocide. So now it provides 6% of Rwanda's energy. It helps fund the youth village and it's an educational tool for the kids who live there. So that's, and now he's just signed in Nigeria in Bauchi state. And so they're building over the next two years, a massive solar field in Nigeria, because the idea is that people can't have any kind of independence and they're at greater risk of, organizations like Boko Haram if they don't have energy and if women are having to travel to get their water and there's no way to like pump water to have energy where you live. So that's going to shift that hopefully. And then it comes with building a clinic and a school and all of that stuff. Well, you found a way to shut me up because there was no way I was going to, I mean, (laughs) that's wow. (laughs) I mean, that's unbelievable. You know, my, my last guest just um, was talking about how she just orgasms on her podcast Really? What you just said was kind of different. That's, Jesus. I mean, that's like, what's with this guy? That's unbelievable. I've never heard of such things before. (laughs) Where did you guys become, why do you want to help people? Where does that come from? I mean, that's like seriously helping. That's not just being a kind person. That's like going to this extra effort of, that people don't do in a lifetime. And your husband's already almost completed. I mean, Susie, that's a, uh, where did you guys even find each other? <laughs> oh, you're funny. I've, I've never, I mean, even when you mentioned some of those countries, I'm like, I can't even imagine stepping foot in any of them in my lifetime because I'd be afraid. And this guy's coming here and he's building stuff and he's making it better. And he's, I mean, and the both of you do Rwanda's it as a couple. Rwanda's a really safe country. Yeah, I disagree with everything you say, but... Um, <laughs> 
I, I'm sorry. I'll just. Starting I'll never. With the election. Well, I'm. You know, I'm kind of. Uh, I'm not very bright when it comes to knowing stuff. So <laughs> when I hear Rwanda and I, I just hear the name, I'm like, oh, that's a trouble country, full of troublemakers. Because you know, I think isn't there like some Don Cheadle movie that takes place in Rwanda that's scary? Hotel Rwanda. Maybe isn't that yeah, a scary movie? Yeah, but that's movie? from the time of the genocide, and that's and they've like done incredible work. In well, how many years ago was that? Twenty-five. Maybe? That's it. You and I have known each other that long. We have maybe longer. <sighs> well, that and and look at me. I I I mean, like I'm so not. I feel so dumb. <laughs> like all I can say is that's badass because it just is. There's like no other words for that. I was like, what do you get? I didn't even expect. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I feel like I'm caught off guard. Like that's like the. The, the re- I was going to say because he was running for to be the president of Israel. Yeah, but that wasn't going to happen. But why did he choose to run knowing full well he wasn't going to win? Because he actually does want to be president of Israel in like 10 years. So he like ran sort of to... So my mother, go, I go like, Mom, you know, my mother loves Judaism more than anything in the whole world. Oh, and she you? fights for the cause in many ways. Uh, she's very, very serious about Holocaust survivors and that kind of, you know, right. uh, in that kind of way. And, and she fights for the cause in that sense and tries to raise money and get speakers. And she, they would love to have you, I think. It's at her. hugely important. And they have a lot of, you know, people in her community and stuff like that um and it's usually important right and so she you know is always there for the holocaust museum stuff or any fundraising that kind of stuff she works with the um uh united federation Mm -hmm. or the jewish federation rather um and it was their president for a while in their chapter oh yeah i think she was when she came over right Right, so um, she's also fighting for the cause. So I said, "Why isn't it exciting? You're, you've did it. This guy might be the president of Israel someday. It's unbelievable." I mean, like, you know, my best Seinfeld-like voice because I'm just like, oh, this, this, it's, "It's amazing." For her. She goes, "Well, the president doesn't really have any power." That was her response. <laughs> the president doesn't really have. Any power. I'm like, true. "Mom, what the? Who cares? Are you kidding?" I know it's true, and like, there wasn't one person who I said, "Yosef's going to run for president." They're like, president doesn't really have. Any power. Everybody talked to my office like, "You don't really have any power." I'm like, "What? Really? That's your response?" I mean, I, I get it because the prime minister has all the power, right? Which, but um, it's true, but it's like it's got but like, cultural power. It's got like of course. Influence. So like, where's I wonder who are all these people? What are they doing that they're just like? Well, you don't really have. It. What are they doing? We were just sort of like you know thinking about like oh what if you want which knowing he wasn't going to but just kind of playing with it and we thought oh my god we would make the president's house into a safe zone for asylum seekers. Wow. Wouldn't that be amazing? So that's a symbolic thing that's like could have some power. Like you come to the president's house and you will not get, you will get a visa. You will not be pressured to leave the country. That, so that's the exact That'd opposite cool. of what's happening here, you're saying? Oh. Well, it's also the opposite of what's happening there. Have you been to the White House North? <laughs> it's right down the street. <laughs> Such a disaster. Is it true that Trump asked how much time he has to spend in the White House? I well, I heard that. Can you blame him though? He must have gone into the. He goes, you call this a mansion? It's old and it smells. I. You know what? I'm not going to blame him for that one. He's lived. There's probably been no other president that's lived better than he has before he has to go to this dump. Technically, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I mean, it, I mean, we can give him that. That he's like, he should really do an overhaul and spend his money, knock it down, and build it back up and build a a lovely White House modern day palace. 
You look at the way you're looking at me. It's like uh, I'm speechless. <laughs> I can't believe that you are not in like total despair. Oh, absolutely not. I am not in despair. I have hope for the country. I want to see what he has to say. I want to see what he has to do. Uh, last week I was just talking about. It. I mean, let's see what he. Maybe he'll be able to fix the budget. Maybe he'll be able to do stuff. Fix the budget. He he wants to like cut everything that's environmental. So basically, climate change be damned, right? So it doesn't like okay. He can fix the budget. Like so great. Like the books are all straight on the Titanic. Perfect. Well, if they like rescue the books from the bottom of the ocean, someone will be impressed. I try not to think so cynically when it comes cynically. To I feel like he's not, not going to be like that. I feel like, like I always say, he's a New Yorker. He he can't be. He's not a religious guy. He's got to know that climate change is real. You really think? That I think he, he. I just say, feel like he said that to win, and then he can do what he wants. And that's comfortable for you. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It doesn't. Bo- I really. I'd like to believe. I'm okay. sorry. I have hope that he's not going to do these. He has no fucking idea what to do. Horrible things that. And who does he have telling him what to do? Mike Pence. Yeah, that guy sucks. That guy beyond sucks. He's actually scarier than Trump. I agree with that. I don't care for him either. He's awful. I mean, women's reproductive rights. Well, that, as you know, that bothers me a lot. But Immigrants, I believe... Deporting people, separating families. What do you like, care this about is that? Sick oh, right. Sorry. This is sick shit. And especially Mike Pence, who calls himself a religious Christian. Like, what's... No, that's the worst. Really? Oh, so Jesus said like to have absolutely no sympathy or empathy for anybody? Apparently that was his message that we didn't hear. That's how I feel in Israel too. Like how on earth is it that we are not just processing every single asylum seeker? Like God tells us in the Torah, in the in the Tanakh, over thirty six times to take care of the stranger. Three times we're told to not mix milk and meat. Everything is kosher everywhere. Meanwhile, we should have 12 times as much concern for the stranger. I think it just comes down to people being very uptight and nervous, and it's a tough time in the sense of terrorism that is causing the problem for something like that. Yeah, but... That's what it's unfortunately come down to. These immigrants have nothing to do with terrorism. That's just... He doesn't believe that. I know, and he's an idiot. So having an idiot who is completely bigoted against Muslim people, especially Syrians who are desperate for a safe place to be. We've been there as Jews. We've been there. And that's why there's so many Jewish organizations who are working really, really hard on behalf of, of asylum seekers here in the U.S., especially from Syria. But they could get fund- They could get defunded. I have a friend who works for Hias, Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. They are working so hard for Syrians to get more Syrians in, to get Syrians settled here to help them out, half their budget comes from the government. What's he going to do with that? He does not give a shit about people. I, you know, I just, I, it's difficult for me. Again, I, for some reason, I am optimistic. I'm optimistic that he's just, I mean, I'm one of those people, unfortunately, that I just have hope that he's trying to maybe this sounds awful but to weed out the troublemakers you know what it is is that did i say because you're not looking in the right place we're not syrians are not troublemakers anyone who's like 
I think, you know, but the, what it is is anybody that comes from that area, people get uptight about. Yes, but not justifiably. No, you're right, not justifiably. I live in that you're completely area. correct. So then we're looking at the but wrong people. We're, we're discriminating against people. We're like, people are drowning. We're all trying afraid. Trying to get to safety. We're afraid. I know, but then channel the fear towards something productive, not just like naming a random group and then saying, okay, we're going to like keep you out, then we're going to feel better, even though it has nothing to do with the reality of terrorism. Well, you know what? I realize why you love Trump. Well, I don't love him. I just... That init, the first Trump-Pence bumper stickers? Yeah. They were like gay porn. <laughs> you mean they were like that little thing I have up there? They were like that stickers. little sticker you have that well, says, listen, I love gay I didn't porn, with the buy T the I fucking the P. No, on the oh. Trump-Pence... <laughs> I, I didn't buy it. Somebody bought it for me and I put it up on the fridge. <laughs> but it's funny. I have a Trump sticker on my desk because somebody gave it to me at work. You are just like a receptacle. Like if something is given to you, you take it and that's all. What can you do? Yeah. You have no choice. It's there and you have it. And so that's, that's final. Well, you know, I'm not very bright (laughs) and, uh, and that's why Sarah and I usually don't talk during election periods. And I've, Admitted on this show, I'm a low-information voter. <laughs> and it's a fact. I don't have all the facts. And I do the best I can in life getting through with a very limited knowledge of stuff. <laughs> but I am always fascinated by someone like yourself who not only has opinions. It's, you know, I love your sister and I'll always love your sister. But, I mean, you know, I, I, I think a lot I, – I think actually – people like her were detrimental to Hillary's candidacy because I think people are fed up by celebrities telling you what you're supposed to do. Um, You know, and in this case, it bothered me in this election. Uh, The bullying. Hey, hey, Trump had a few celebrities. Well, that's what I'm saying. I can relate to Scott Baio. Yeah, That guy was amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but that guy's a genius. Who else? He had... I think that was about it. No, uh, there was some rocker. Ted Nugent. Oh. <laughs> Ted Nugent. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, Ted if Nugent's you the coolest. Ted Nugent <laughs> and Scott Baio, basically, you can be well, president. Yeah, but that's who you get to get Dave Juskow's vote. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they just made the recipe for... <laughs> but but in all I mean, seriousness... Like, though, Chachi. I mean, like, Chachi. Chachi, like... Yesterday, I took a picture, by the way, of the screen so of the Happy Days episode I was watching yesterday, yeah. last night. Oh, my God. And you were just says, watching Happy Days? Yeah. And it said, Chachi's diabetes comes into question when he's uh, working with the Beach Boys. That was the... <laughs> like I, I have it on my phone. I don't feel like you... Yeah. I, I showed it to um, Artie and David Tell last night. I was with them. And I'm like, did you see... This disc- and they're like, I don't remember that very special episode of Happy Days. I'm like, well, I was watching it, and the episode was just Fonzie and Al buying the diner together. So I don't know where Chachi's diabetes came in. That was a. I feel like somebody got into my screen and just put a phony <laughs> scroll across, or you know, it was. Isn't that? I'll show you when we're finished. You won't believe okay. it. I mean, I have the proof. Isn't that the strangest thing? It's weird. But I mean, if Chachi is, you know, if he's really struggling with uh, diabetes in, the, in his character, when he, when the Beach Boys are in concert, <laughs> I don't know. It was so weird. But um, yeah, so a- anyway, what I'm saying is like, uh, you know, Sarah, has, uh, she is, and she doesn't listen to anything I say, and I can't blame her. I don't have anything to say. I never argue with her or anything. She tells me what I need to believe, 
and then I can choose to believe it or not. Now, there's a lot of stuff she tells me, and you tell me, which I think are really good. But when when you talk, I, I feel it. It's not just that um, you're telling me your your views or opinions. I, I I feel with you, you're you're stating fact, and you you do something about it. So it's different. And you know, I'm always impressed and fascinated with people that are smarter than me. I like when people know about wine, and they tell me why wine is good, and they talk about wine. I love when people talk about theater and somebody who's really knowledgeable. I've talked about on this show, um, uh, you know, I'm friends with this guy, Larry Moss, who's like the greatest acting teacher right now in our time. Is he in New York? Uh, he's all over. He's in LA, New York, and Australia. Because Elise is looking for a good acting class. Well, he's the best. Uh, but I don't know whether he does it here anymore. Uh-huh. But, um, but he, um, so when I told Sarah, I know like, yeah, me, Larry Moss, and Vincent go to the theater. He goes, well, how do you know Larry Moss? I'm like, hey, hey, I got a life outside you, you know, because like, this is like a big deal, this guy. <laughs> but listening to him, oh, actually listening to her boyfriend, Michael, talk about acting is fantastic because that guy's the real deal. And we were making fun the first day I met him. I said, this is a lot better than your roommates, you know, Beth and Allison talking about acting. You know, <laughs> so they would talk about the craft of acting and, they're, and they just sound stupid. Whereas this guy is really, really great, uh-huh. and I love to, hearing him talk about acting. So I love when people are that knowledgeable about a subject that I'm interested in that I can completely be confident in what they're talking about, or at least that I, I feel that their knowledge is um, really coming from a great place, you know, that I respect. Right. So when you are talking about whatever you talk about, you know, whether it's uh, adoption or just even Judaism, I love listening to you talk. Because you and Yosef, I just have such great respect for that. Um, I I don't know, you know. That's why I why that's why I like you. I like hanging out with you, and um, I really wanted to have you on the podcast. I don't, you know, we don't have a lot of uh, serious discussions. Sometimes we do, mm-hmm. like when Sarah's on. Sometimes we will talk serious once in a while, which I like. But um, you know, the reason I had you on at the beginning is because. I've always hated UNICEF. Thank you. And there was a woman in But the did you hate it because you didn't get candy on Halloween? No. Um, I, I, no. I've always hated it. I hated carrying that stupid orange thing around on Halloween. Uh, plus, because in the 70s, when I was trick-or-treating, I had like an astronaut costume and it had a light bulb on the top of the head. And to turn <laughs> it on, I had a little battery pack that I had to press with my thumb <laughs> So I had to carry the battery pack, my bag, and the stupid UNICEF box. So I hated that UNICEF box, but I thought I was doing good Mm. for the kids Mm -hmm. until I found out later that they hate Israel. Uh, And that was just the the bottom line, you know, Mm -hmm. where I didn't even – and I was furious when I figured this out, like, in the 80s. I didn't figure that out for a long time. My sister said my mother always knew. that. I'm like, then why did she let us trick-or-treat with that stupid box? If she knew all along. Anyway, this woman, Carol Markowitz, I don't know whether you know her. She's a writer for The Post. And I saw her thing and I reached out to her because she mentioned, you know, how much UNICEF is horrible and their organization is bad and it's bad in so many different ways. And then she was explaining. And then I read that she said um, they were really bad at, with international adoption. Uh-huh. And that's why I thought of correct. you. And then I'm like, oh, you know, they're terrible. My friend Susie 
is not just outspoken, but she's really serious. I mean, she's she's proven she's taken two colored kids into her home, which is unbelievable. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no, I, I it's uh, it's funny because you you adopted two Ethiopian. Or were they Jews when you adopted them, or you converted them in your book? You mm-hmm. say you converted them, but they're, you they're not. Read the book to find out. I did. The readers, I mean, oh, the sorry. listeners, have to read the book to find out. But, but, but I know why you. Um, you know, it's funny when I, again when I see the, I, I still forget sometimes. I've never met your two adopted sons. What we, we, you've we, never met a Don no, Zamir? Never. How is that possible? That's impossible. I know. I've never met them. Have I you met? They, you moved you to met, Israel met when they were very girls. young. You probably haven't met her. I've never met your youngest girl. I saw oh. you when you, you were pregnant with her, but I never met her. Whoa. So you've only met Aliza and Halal. I have only met Aliza and Halal. That's yes. weird. Yeah, it's weird. And so when I would see pictures you of your family, I was like, well, who are these black? Like, it, I kept forgetting. And the, the pictures are so... And like... Well, like, I was looking at your Facebook profile picture, and I'm like, who the hell is this black kid? Oh, I'm like, I forget sometimes. And when Sarah's like, that's my nephew, and I'm like, don't mess with me. I forget. And um, it's rude of me, I guess, to um, be that way. But I'm I'm so fascinated. Of course, I was even there when you were, I mean, I was around when you were adopting them. I was mad that you mentioned Sam Cedar in the book. Um, but well, I, know he, I know he filmed the thing, yeah, which is a really good piece, which you showed at your lecture. Right. Yeah. Well, that was his footage, and then my friend Paula made it into a film. Which is a great film, by the way. Very entertaining. And Do again, you see Sam? Sometimes. Oh, give him yeah. a hug for me. Really? I haven't seen him in ages. He's all right. Yeah, I've seen better heads on a mug of beer. Um, what I was saying with your... Um, I just have a bunch of notes that I made. Oh, I don't know whether you know about this, but in your book, you were talking about how you got Zamir, and that his real name was Kadir. Mm-hmm. Now, your dad said, I mean, it was fascinating how you were looking when you started to realize you wanted a second son to adopt, uh-huh. and you go through a bunch of videos like you're in a dating service. Yeah, it's so weird. That was completely fascinating. I, I don't know how, you, I don't think I could do that. It would be like looking through a puppy for an adoption it's agency, really, how do you really pass over? Thing. Yeah. I mean, how do you even choose? Yeah, weird. But apparently your dad said that could, Zamir at the time had a cut on his head because yeah. he got into a scuffle right. with somebody else. Yeah. And then the first thing I thought about was that you found Harry Potter. And then <laughs> it turns out his name actually means pottery in oh, Hebrew. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how weird is that? Yeah, <laughs> like I was like his his his. <laughs> he had a scar his, on his head, like Harry Potter. Right, his first name, uh, Kadir, means that. Right, right, right. So I was like, wow, she really did find Harry Potter. I did. Right? I did. Um, he's super funny. He's insanely like really dry sense of humor. I mean, just like our family WhatsApp, completely crack up whenever Zamir writes something. Very dry. How old is he? Droll. Now? He's almost fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. And holds. Adar? Adar. He's almost 18. He's almost 18. Yeah. Well, you moved to Israel, was it? Uh, 10 years ago. Oh, just 10 years ago? Uh-huh. Oh, that made. So that's oh, why I'm surprised you haven't met, like, the three little kids. I thought you moved, because I remember talking to Eliza when you were moving, like, the week before you were moving, I saw you. 
And I could have sworn Aliza was 16. But maybe she was only 13. No, she was 13. Okay, that makes sense because she said she's 23 now. Um, and I remember talking to her on the street. We were walking in the city on the Upper West Side. And she was really pissed that she had to move because she had already had a bunch of friends. Yeah. That's a very difficult thing, especially you're not just moving to Maryland. No. You know, you move into Israel. And to a kibbutz in the south of Israel. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, if it you're not the most badass. Uh, was it? Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty fucked up thing to do to a 13-year-old. Yes. It took her a long time. It did, right? Eventually, she, she was good, but yeah. And then hard. she had to join the army, too, right? And then she, she was I mean, the it's army. like as if it could be any worse. Not only, again, is she moving just to, you know, Maryland or Florida or something, but then not only she's got to move and then join the army. Well, we lived there five <laughs> years before she was in the army. I know, but still, that's like, uh, wow. You know, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the, the end all. Like, like, so you're saying I got to move to this place, meet a whole new friends, learn a new language, and then join the army. Right. That's so... Her base <laughs> was... Um, her ba- she had to be in a bulletproof bus to get to her base. And she said there are always these like ping, ping of, um, of BB gun bullets that would hit the window. And at first she'd be like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then by the end she could sleep through it. <laughs> like wow. Later she could just sort of sleep. It didn't even like bother her. And then after a while she's like she'd look at these kids like shooting these guns. And she said, I found myself kind of rooting for them. Like, <laughs> you know, like. Wow. Oh. Well, we all know the Israeli army is uh, very badass, and they recruit everybody. It's boys and women, men and women. And um, your daughters are uh, an outstanding product of how it actually is very helpful. Because wasn't Hillel also a troublemaker? Yeah, Hillel was a nightmare. And the army kind of straightened her out. Because your daughter, when I saw her last time you were here... I've never seen a 360 like that or a partner for you. Uh, she should be your manager. Oh I've my never God. seen such an adult. Yeah. What is she, 21? She's amazing. Yeah, she's 21. She came on my first two rounds of book tours with me uh, last spring. And she, I mean, she, she calls herself, she was my bitch on tour. And she was completely my bitch on tour. She was amazing. And now she like, she's sending me like texts and WhatsApps and uh, saying, Mom, you didn't post. You, you know, you have to. It's amazing. Did it's, you take a picture at that meeting? You got to post. You got to post before. You got to particular after. Like, she's incredible. And in in um, the army, she did social media, so she became really good at it. Wow, but it's better than that. She's just really good with you, and she's a, a pleasant person. Well, all your kids are. Uh, well, I They're haven't met the other, but the, the two are good kids, and but watching her work making sure you had water the podium was set up the projector was set up i mean we we saw you at the 92nd street why she's so good and i've never seen even when we were having dinner she's like mom we have to go in five minutes <laughs> i mean when do you ever yeah. see a kid treat and i'm not talking about like a 40 year old kid i'm talking about right. a 20 year old kid right. you know telling her mother what to do for all the right reasons yeah I've never seen anything like that in my life. I know. I can't imagine my nieces ever doing anything like that. You know, being so proactive. But we couldn't imagine that with Halal when she was there either. But do you think the army completely helps kind of straighten you out like that? I think it does. I think she was starting to kind of pull it together before the army. And then in the army, it was so demanding. She had so much work. She had a ton of responsibility. And she just... 
she rose to the occasion and she figured it out and she's very determined. She's very, she's got a vision for herself and she's going for it. I mean, she comes from an unbelievable family unit. So it's like, it seems like it just took a little nudge to put her in the right direction. I mean, your kids must see how important your ideas are and how you implement them and how it's not just you're telling her what to do, but you're showing Right. Well, she's our one activist. The other kids aren't so activists. Well, that's okay. She she kind of is. She she. um, But they appreciate your cause and they respect you. Mostly. Adar claims to be right wing. I don't know if he's (laughs) just fucking with me, if he really means it. You and your daughter, Halal, the troublemaker, you went to the Wailing Wall with her. This is after she was in the army? No, before. It was before. So she was already uh, looking for action. And you went to the Wailing... You and her went to the men's side. No, we didn't. No, you didn't? No. How, well, well, you got arrested. For, we got arrested. Why? We got arrested because at that time it was illegal to break what was seen as the custom of the place, which was Orthodox custom. And we broke the custom by wearing uh, prayer shawls. You're kidding, right? No. You're just making that up. No. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. Because w- women could not be wearing prayer shawls. Right. But the men are allowed to wear the right. shawls. What are they called? Talit? What is yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, I I think I have one, right? But don't you wear that at your bar mitzvah? Is that the same? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so, but women aren't allowed to wear that, and that's why they arrested you? Mm-hmm. So you went to the Wailing Wall knowing I'm going to make a stand, pretty much planning to be arrested. I mean, listen, like we've... We'd worn it there in the past. Like, p- women have been doing that, you know, and then they're told to take it off, and once in a while people are arrested, and just that particular day. But it's actually, you're going to love this. Okay, so we were arrested for that. You know, they said, take it off. We said, no. They tried to get us to leave. We refused. We sat down on the ground. And then as we're leaving, as we're leaving, I was like, oh, all right, great. Nothing's going to happen. And then, boom, they took us. It was no big deal. We're like in the police station for a number of hours, and that's. Well, I mean, it's, it's a big deal. It's in still the sense sort of a can democracy. You even believe it? Yeah. It's absurd. So then, what happens is my friend Tova tweets something like Sarah Silverman's sister arrested at the hotel at the wall, and then Sarah tweets, you know, my rockin' sister, whatever she wrote, and like the whole world started calling. Yeah, and. Well, good for I mean, that is a good thing to awesome. tweet. It was awesome. And so the chief of police was like, called my friend Tova, who's the jur- journalist, and said, how famous is this Sarah Silverman? <laughs> and Tova's like, yeah, you're not going to like this. So then the next month, I'm back again. I'm wearing my talus. I look at the cop who had arrested me the time before, and I kind of pointed at him like, and then pointed at myself like, so when I arrest me again? And he just looked at me and nodded his <laughs> Like, was he just like, can you just no. take that off, please? Like, he's like, no, I'm not arresting you again. So, but you go there wearing the tiles not to make trouble. You're only going because you feel that you should be able to. But do you also feel like you're doing it on purpose to make a little trouble or to make a statement? Or you're I mean, actually listen, going there to pray? We go there to pray. And the reality is that we know that it is also a statement that we're moving the needle, that we're like trying to move away from like fascistic tendencies. Like as soon as you're making religious law into civil law, 
you're in really dangerous territory, mm. right? Because that could become anything. And like a democracy does not have room for religious law being civil law. And that's true also in Israel. Were people throwing things at you? Were throwing things, spitting. The men, po- all men, oh, right? Women, women were too. Women like blow whistles and will grab our stuff and try to kind of steal it. And I've always said, and it's weird because you are a rabbi and you know, you're so religious, but I've always felt all religion, all religion is completely degrades women. Like all the religions make women second-class citizens. I mean, there's, it's a fact about the Jews because I used to go to an Orthodox temple and my sister used to have to sit up in the balcony where I was yeah. you know, much closer to God. <laughs> and I would give her the finger when I was down. And I'm like, ah. Yeah, that's close to God. And, um, and then, you know, uh, certainly the Catholic Church, uh, you know, that's why I'm always surprised when women are devout Catholics because I'm like, you're talking about a religion that doesn't, just telling you what you can do with your body and stuff like you, every religion gets treated. And people who I tell that to, they're like, no, they don't. But it's a fact. You're trying right. to undo that. But it's a fact. That's why I'm always surprised when women are really religious because it's you're being brainwashed and you're being treated as a second-class citizen even if you think you're not. Right. I think that you've got a really good point. The way I look at it is like the problem for me is when people believe that they know what God wants of them or what truth is. And that leads to sexism, that leads to bigotry, that leads to all kinds of things because you you think and often that's been men historically, that they know for a fact what God wants and then it's their job to impose that on everybody. But I don't look at it like that. I look that's at the ISIS mentality. It's an ISIS mentality. Mm-hmm. It for sure is. And people could be more benign in the way that they kind of impart their truth, but it's still a very dangerous thing. I just don't understand why women go along with it. You know, it's like women right. should just get out of all religion. So here's like the baby bathwater kind of thing, because for me, what is Judaism? Judaism is a set of metaphors and rituals and stories and values that help me orient myself in the world in a meaningful way. It's not about some sort of truth. Like, did God part the sea? Like, no, I don't think so. But does that story of redemption have something to teach me about how I want to be in the world? Absolutely. Hmm. So that to me is very powerful and it's a, a useful way. I mean, I came to Judaism by, really by meeting Yosef. We met in the anti-apartheid movement at BU, right? Well, he's good. Like in a four-day, four four-night <laughs> vigil outside the president's office and we got to know each other and... He, I would say things like racism is bad and oppression is bad. And he would say, everyone is made in the image of God. And I'm like, whoa, like that's got some weight to it. That, that's and an eternal concept. Pants and just, that was it. That was it. <laughs> yeah. And I saw that circum. Uh, no, no, right. So. <laughs> well, I saw in your like, book, uh, yeah, I think you had the quote when you first saw um, Adari and, and you're just like, uh, I've never seen an uncircumcised female before. Yeah, when sober. I'm not sober, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes you so funny too. That you're still like, no matter what the situation is, you're still you, and you're still awesome, and you still have an amazing sense of humor, which of course obviously runs in the family. But um, it is funny. I remember reading that line and being like, "That's so Susie, and she's so cool." Yeah. And even at the most dire of times, you're still cool. Oh, and the most that's uh, joyous so great, of times because I was still never you. cool growing up. Well, that's the other thing too. I mean. 
the fact that you became a rabbi, you, I, I, I feel like most of the women that I've met through you who became rabbis and, and this uh, Shifra character uh, <laughs> feel that they've done something so wild and crazy beforehand that they, it's almost a need to repent in a way. <laughs> that, that's what I felt. Like you've always said, I needed to, I just did all this stuff and I needed, but everything you told me, unless you haven't told me everything, didn't sound that bad that you needed no. to. No, I don't think I felt like find I yourself in a in that kind of way. But I've noticed that a lot of the women that become rabbis do feel that they've acted out in such a way previous to that that they need to make amends. Oh, that's you know you know some interesting rabbis. No, well, you're the first one I met. Yeah, well, I'm know, interesting. For you're the most interesting. Yeah. And then you kept introducing me to all... I mean, how many... I, I never met one, and then I met 30. And I went to your graduation. Oh, yeah. And everybody was really cute and really, you know, pretty. I, mean, I tried to fix you up with the most awesome rabbi, and you fucked it up royally. That's what I do. It's my thing. I thought you knew that. should have known that well, going in. I didn't in. know it at the time. <laughs> yeah, I like to fuck things up. It was a long up. time ago. Yeah, but you introduced me to a lot of other people, too, and um, all nice people. Uh, but it is funny. I mean, what's funnier than just, you know, there's a time period where I dated a lot of female rabbis. That doesn't make any sense. You know, I just never thought that would be the case. I mean, it's just funny that there's so many. Wait, I never heard did of I one. finish up with other ones? No, I met others along the way. Oh. That's oh. why it's weird. It's all through you. But yeah, like I was saying, That's like how. this other girl and stuff like that. I mean, it's, um, it's just fascinating because I, I don't see them anymore. Uh, besides you, I, I've never met another female rabbi. I've never heard of one at any of the temples and anywhere really? around here yeah even though it seems like a whole bunch yeah, you graduated with a bunch they're everywhere you just don't go to synagogue well i do actually but really? um i guess i just go to one so well which one i go to what? wherever my sister goes so uh, but she got kicked out of the last one so what why she's gotten kicked out of the last two it's mostly my fault seriously i think twice there's been an issue what did you do? But then she's realized, you know what? Those guys suck anyway if they don't have a good sense of humor. What did you do? It doesn't matter. The important thing is that we're all together and we're having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. It's just, um, I'm just, uh, I, so do you have a congregation now? No. Do you want to? No. What was the point of becoming a rabbi then? I asked myself that. Oh. No, I'm doing, like, I'm working in Jewish communities. You don't want to lead? The adoption stuff. Congregation? No. Oh. I want to do the adoption stuff. Why? Through Jewish communities. No, I know. Can't you do both? Uh, no. You know, growing up, we had a rabbi, uh, Rabbi Landsberg. And <laughs> Yes. And um, he, they used to call him Marrying Sam because he would marry anybody, you know, black, white, you know. Oh, my God, there was a rabbi where I grew up called Marrying Sam. Oh, really? (laughs) I guess maybe it was a thing. Anything for money. But he was the first person that adopted an Ethiopian kid in the 70s. They had a black kid. And people were like, the hell is, you know, (laughs) like, it was very confusing in New Jersey. Like, at the time, (laughs) the hell is this? But it was badass at the time. I mean, you know, he just, it's funny. Is that that a, a rabbinical thing? You know, he did it. 20 years before you did it. Yeah. Uh, why rabbis? Why, do they, why are they the ones that are 
the ones that I know, besides being rich and Steven Spielberg-like and Madonna, what is it about rabbis that, or uh, did I just find the only two rabbis I know that seem to adopt? Listen, there are a lot of rabbis who have adopted, but I'm not sure that it's out of proportion with the general population. Jews tend to, Jews adopt at twice the rate of the as the general population in the U.S. Why is that? There are a number of reasons. One is that one is about fertility that oftentimes. Jews get married later because there's, you know, college and graduate school and, you know, and then by then it's like it's later and people will adopt to make their families. That makes sense. Um, I think there's also, I mean, you know, like there is in many cultures, there's an obligation to reach out and take care of people who need it. And kids who are outside of parental care are at are at much higher risk. I will tell you this. After going to your lecture, Mm. I never ever thought about adopting a kid but if i have the means and the finance i believe i would absolutely absolutely like to do that that's great after you after you spoke that's great well you know it's funny your book is about you making a mixed family of your vagina babies and your adopted Mm. babies and that's what the book is about (laughs) thank you well that's what sarah always calls (laughs) um but I noticed, and it's just at the end in the epilogue and the appendix that you talk about the actual problems with international adoption, which is what I right. thought the book was going to be about. Um, you know, because that I was fascinated of your statistics that you yeah. had. Uh, you know, you, you, I mean, in a way, you were explaining international adoption the way that guy Arnold Penzias was explaining the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> you were bored. No, no, I'm sorry. That came out the wrong mm. way. What I meant was the way you were explaining it was the way he was trying to explain what we are in the universe and how we've, you know, when he started explaining that we've, this is what Carl Sagan was doing this too. When you look at a clock, we've only been on this planet for the last minute on December 31st of the new year. Like if you look at a, the calendar or something uh, uh-huh. as the spectrum of the entire universe we've only been alive for the last minute on december right. 31st yeah. and the way you were explaining that for some reason that's it made sense you got I connected it. the two yeah that you were explaining this unbelievable statistic of how many orphans there are uh-huh. which i i don't know never occurred to me i mean i guess i knew but the way you were explaining and and you then you were like the ones we know about Right. In in the hundreds of thousands. Well, this is where we get into like, you know, UNICEF and Save the Children. I mean, Save the Children estimates there are between 8 and 12 million kids in institutions. Like, if you're estimating by the millions, you suck at your job. That's right. That's exactly what you said. Yeah. Right. You're estimating by the millions. They don't even care. Well, I mean, it, it can't be that impossible to figure it out with the technology we've got. I mean, put it this way. If they had made, you know... If they had made pledges to save the children, they'd probably find them. Right. You also, you say in Guatemala, that's where UNICEF is, they pressure countries to stop uh, right. allowing international adoption. You have friends that have adopted impossible. People, uh, kids from Guatemala, right? It, it said it in your book. I have friends who have adopted from a lot of places. I'm trying to think. Oh, oh, because I know there was a... Um, you're thinking of uh, some some people that I was I was teaching a class and they were in the class. Oh, I see. Them. 
But yeah, UNICEF basically like they won't say it in their literature, but if you read what what leaders in UNICEF write personally, then I mean, you know, in their own name and will publish, they basically feel that like a kid is born into a country and that they are obligated then to be raised in their heritage. But unfortunately, it's there's sex, sex trafficking, disease, death. Like it's crazy life for kids who are outside of parental care and like to sort of have this like pure, you know, self-righteous, you know, multicultural kind of look at it like, well, a child should be raised in the culture in which they're born. Like that might sound good, but no one, whoever's saying that, they wouldn't put themselves in that position. Like they wouldn't choose from themselves being outside of family care. Right. And that's why, you know, this girl, this woman, Carol Margowitz was saying, in the UNICEF, they, they she can't, and, and there's a bunch of people that can't figure out why that particular charity is okayed in the schools, in our public schools. Why, yeah. for some reason, UNICEF is the only charity that is that is it, nobody okayed it, the PTA or anything, you know, or stuff because like that. Because they it's present just, as as like the people looking out for kids, but but they're not. But they're not. Why? Not but that how is they, that they do that's, that's been around good, for so long with nobody blowing the lid off that? It's crazy. There should be there should be a lot more attention paid. And one thing that there's a bill before Congress right now that's basically saying that when the State Department does human rights reports on countries, they need to look at what's happening inside the institutions. Nobody looks. Nobody says like, oh, what's happening to these eight to twelve million children in institutions? Institutionalized kids are just sort of behind those closed doors, and human rights reports are about what happens outside of those doors. But they have to start paying attention to what's happening with kids. Babies are going blind in Romania because they're only looking at white ceilings lying on, in their cribs, and their optic nerve isn't developed. Oh, I mean, God. this shit is going on, and it's just sort of, well, institutionalized, and that box is checked. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, you know, what can... You know how do you how do you combat it? I mean, you you know you're only one person. You've adopted two kids. You know what? How it's do you systemic. I mean, it needs we need systemic change. I mean, number one, everyone would agree that you don't want women to give birth to children that they if they don't want to be pregnant, right? So well, you yeah, want you have to have like reproductive start rights. There, right. Start that you need reproductive rights for all women all over the world, and if a woman. Um, and in you, and if a woman wants has children and wants to raise them, then it needs to be made possible for her to do that. And then, if that's not possible, we need to figure that out quickly so the kids don't languish in institutions before they do find a permanent loving family. And we can do this. This is not beyond us. We just don't care enough to do it. Yeah. Especially here in this country, because we we're not thinking about other countries a lot. I'm sure that Trump it's is really going to prioritize <laughs> yeah. the vulnerable. So don't you worry about that. You know what I was amazed at in your book, which I never knew, that you you fostered your parents fostered yeah, a kid too. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's a, well, that makes so much sense. Well, I guess I never told you, but it was also before Sarah was born, so oh. I never, she never told you. Yeah, no, she. I remember she told me about Jeffrey. Right, which was your uh, brother that died, um, because I used to use him as my password, my secret password. What is Sarah's <laughs> dead brother's name? Um, I've oh, used it for years. My God, <laughs> <you're so laughs> she told me that like thirty years ago. I don't know why it stuck with me. I guess. Cause, Wait, uh, so you can choose your own question for passwords? Uh, back then, you could. Now, <laughs> now it's difficult. But if I can, I that's my quote. Well, now I've 
now I can't use it anymore. But I that's hysterical. Jeffrey was always the answer. <laughs> like sick and funny at the same time. I hate when my phone rings like that. Just hold on. A How do you want it to ring? <laughs> All right, I need to. I'm gonna check anyway. You need to what? Oh, oh, okay, no. What do you need to do? I was. It's okay. No. I was gonna check my email, see if Bruce. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, we, we'll fit. I know you we'll gotta go, up. so just um, this is the most fascinating thing of all. Um, I got you uh, a gift for when you spoke last time. Oh my god! And I did it kind of as a goof uh, because I remembered it as a kid, and it was the first oh thing I had ever seen. My god! And here's a, a little clip. No. Oh. Oh, hi. Uh, Mr. Kelly, I see you now have several children. <laughs> Three altogether. Of uh, various colors, one might say. You just, you did. just did. Mind you, I'm not a bigot. I believe that blacks, yellows, everybody has a place in our society. <laughs> I, Mr. Payne and I even managed to be cordial to the Shapiros on the next block. It's very generous of you. <laughs> we try. <laughs> Nevertheless, three small boys are apt to be destructive. Especially the minorities. <laughs> Congratulations, Mrs. Payne. You have my vote for neighbor of the year. I considered that remark uncalled for. If nobody calls for it in 30 days, it's all yours, baby. Can Barry really let her have it? That's from the Brady Bunch episode with Dwayne and Steve that I remembered so well because but it Dwayne, was Dwayne, Steve, and well, I don't remember the, the Dwayne and Steve were the adopted kids. I don't no, remember they, what the first kid. No, was. he was adopted too. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Though he was the white the white kid. I don't remember, but Dwayne and Steve were his Oriental. Well, that back then they called or and uh, black Can we kid. Get off this podcast. No, um, this is what I do. By the way, uh, Can we get off this podcast now. And but it's so funny. I got that to you as kind of a gag, but then you told me that episode totally. kind of. Pioneered your totally. I I. It's so interesting. It makes so much the sense. The moment as a kid watching that episode, I can remember sitting on the couch. I can remember watching it. I can remember being like so taken by adoption. It's funny. I was uh, amazed by that episode in a completely different way, which, uh, <laughs> in the sense that I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Because like, it was like, it was a. Uh, this isn't a Brady Bunch episode. What's happening? And that's when I discovered you could have a pilot within a show right. like that fascinated me more right but i was st- i mean i was still fascinated by the content that you know i mean that a family was going to adopt a black kid and a chinese kid or whatever I, again i know i'm using the wrong technology but i'm from you know I'm old <laughs> technology whatever you liked um i i know in your book you talk about how much you enjoyed television do you remember this show has a problem, as you can plainly see. One minute he's 40, the next he's 33. Big John keeps a changing before your very eyes. He's 25, and then 19, then 12 years old. Here's the title of this. It's a Saturday morning cartoon. John, what a way to grow. Nothing. Big John, <laughs> John. Here's the whole premise. Big John found the fountain of youth. He drank a little drink. And that magic water is the thing that made him shrink. 
Now even when he's little John, he never <laughs> knows just when. Zap, he'll change and rearrange, and he's Big John again. Nothing, huh? Nothing. <laughs> I have no memory of that. It was a Saturday morning, not a cartoon, a live action show with Herb Edelman and Robbie Rist, cousin Oliver, where Herb Edelman, who was Stan on the Golden Girls, let alone oh. the uh, who created the role of the telephone repairman in the Prisoner of Second Avenue, but uh, or Bear from the Park, one of those two. Um, he uh, he found the Fountain of Youth, and then he would turn into cousin Oliver, but he never knew when. And they'd go back and forth. And he was married to Joyce Bullifant. <laughs> uh, the best part about the show is that See, theme. See, he knows stuff. Because yeah, I know stuff. I'm smart. <laughs> I'm not dumb like everyone says. But I, I just like playing that theme because it's such a snappy tune. And I sent <laughs> it to Sarah to see because she told me that uh, Michael knows, like, he knew about Rhoda. Oh, my God. You know God. the show Rhoda? Because That's the best show. In Wales where he was. Um, they would get shows that had the opening explained to them. So remember, every episode of Road would be like, my entrance exam was on a book of matches where I moved to Minneapolis where it's cold. You remember they have the whole oh, explanation yeah. at the beginning? So they would get shows like that where they explain the open, you know, they explain the whole show in the opening credits. So I sent him this, and she said he already knew about it. No. <laughs> I didn't know how he knew about it. I'm like, wait, how could he possibly know about this? It was like eight episodes. And he was here in the 70s. There's no way it was in Wales. But maybe, you know, Robbie Rist was a big star. Cousin Oliver. Are you kidding? People wanted to know what he was up to. I remember Robbie Rist. Well, he was Cousin Oliver. Oh, I believe you. Yeah. Well, he was in everything. He was in um, the Mary Tyler Moore show. He played Ted's kid. Uh, yeah, he... Uh, Ted and Georgette had a they kid? Adopted, they adopted <gasps> a Vietnamese kid, I believe. What? Yeah, or Chinese? I can't remember. You know, they're they're Asian. They adopted it, and then they adopted this. Um, Ted and Georgette. Ch- Ted you and Georgette. You are so lying. No, no, no. Wait, I have the. the You're I, making it up. No, I swear to God, I'm not. Um, I think I even have the clip. Here it is. Oh my God. So, how was the new school? Oh, you should have seen it, Ted. They made such a fuss over David. You see it? Or just <laughs> no. All the children are so smart. A nine-year-old girl gave me directions to the ladies' room in last. This is where they, this is where you can recognize his voice. How do you like the school, David? Oh, I think it's real neat. Now I have classmates I can relate to, and I think that's very, very important. Yes, I can understand that. I think people usually get along with other people whose IQs are closer to their own. Don't you agree, Dad? Indubitably. Now, for instance, I'm sure the reason you get along so well with Mr. Slaughter here is because your IQ is probably very close to his. Interesting theory. What's your IQ? Go ahead and tell him, Mayor. Most people's IQs are lower than David's. Doesn't mean anything, so you're not as smart as he is. Go ahead, tell him. 118. How about yours, Mr. Slaughter? 125. You see, very close. That's why you get along so well together. And nice little IQs they are, too. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to be embarrassed about. You know what's weird? I just saw an episode. I watch it every Sunday now because it's on MeTV and it picks me up on Sunday nights when I'm down. And it's on at midnight every Sunday. But he adopted a Vietnamese... How can I have no memory of that? I don't know. I just saw it and I didn't know because I don't think they ever talked about it again. Because then they adopted this kid, Robbie Rist, and then they had a baby girl, remember? Because they named her Mary Lou. Yeah. 
So and, and the last episode he brought in David and Mary Lou, but not the Asian kid. It's just coming to me now when I saw the episode where they adopted a little boy. Can we watch this? I later. I guess, yeah. I don't know. I have everything in audio, you know. <laughs> I never have regular <laughs> clips. I never know what's going on. I just, you know, I make all these stupid audio clips and stuff. But it's kind of funny that there were all these um, shows back in the 70s that actually had people adopting. Yeah. But, and that's why the Brady Bunch, to do that back then. Remember, that was supposed to be a series. Yeah. Called Kelly's Kids or whatever. You know, a new show for Ken Berry, the delightful Ken Berry. Where instead of that show didn't go, so he had to go to Mama's family. But um, yeah, that was supposed to be a show about. I mean, it's just like the Brady Bunch, except they now they added some eth- ethnic ethnicities. Um, but it didn't work, and that's why that show I think fascinated me. I was like, what? It was a pilot. That was Sherwood Schwartz's plan. Yeah, I only know that because of you. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, but, but it it's funny sense. that uh, we both the episode both spoke to us maybe in different ways, but yet. You know, it was fascinating to me, too. Yeah. You know, that, that, that they were okay adopting the other kid. But I always picture myself as that lady in it. Like, <laughs> or, or the, my neighbors had a kid, and I wanted to do... They're too young. They wouldn't understand. But I wanted to play the music and be like, I understand now. You have two children. <laughs> children go through plants and play on the grass. You know, like, I, I, I really wanted to go over with that music and knock on their door and do that. But they would never... I know they're cool and they think I'm funny, but they would never understand the reference and what would be the point. But... I should it have done it anyway. <laughs> you know. I'm even nice to the Shapiros down the street. <laughs> no, Mind wait, you. No, Mr. What, what's the last name? Mr. Whatever. I thought it was the I. Shapiros. No, no. She says, oh, Mr. Sosa, I even managed to be cordial to the Shapiros. Oh, oh you got it exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> we even managed to be cordial to the Shapiros. Yeah, that's all I think about. That's how. That's when I know I'm old. When I want to go over, I found out they had a baby. And I'm like, well, I now understand you have two children. <laughs> Because it's going to disturb my slumber. Uh, meanwhile, I couldn't hear a damn thing. And that baby is the cutest baby I've ever seen. Unlike the baby who's now on the 15th floor, who is the grossest baby I've ever seen, who looks like he's his parents are seven feet tall. So he's already he's two, but he's already three feet tall. And it lo- and he's in the baby carriage. I'm like, why are you putting him in a kid? That kid doesn't walk. He doesn't walk. Yet. I'm like, how does he not walk? Look at him. It looks like he's about to speak in sentences. Already, because he's so big. He's such a big baby. But he's like, I don't like him. Why? I don't know. He's a weird-looking kid. I don't, I don't care for so him. So you don't like him because of how he looks? Yes. I like That's cute babies. great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, i got to be honest with you. you know I, mean? I don't let him know somehow. Listen, I tell my friend Lee all the time. He, they know I don't care for their oldest, but I love the youngest. Yeah, they were here on Sunday, and that kid, that, she's too spoiled. She just... It always doesn't get away and starts crying. I know kids are like that, but they don't say anything. And I need them to tell them to stop because my sister would do that. I'd be like, are you serious? Are you really complaining about that right now? I need, I need that from them. <laughs> I need some parenting. And it bothers me. I know I'm not a parent, but I like to see good parenting. As a person that's not a parent, I like to see good parenting. Well, Which is why I want, enjoy your parenting. If they want... That's a big deal to single people, to see good parenting. It, why? It, because it's important because we, we, we just want to have hope, you know, that, that, <laughs> that maybe, I don't know, we need something to draw from. Well, I think the Trump children will be. <laughs> you um, love the Trumps. Oh, yeah. So you're never coming back now. 
Well, I you don't know. You thought about being, coming back to the States, but now. It's like a rock and a hard place. Trump and Netanyahu. You don't like Netanyahu? No, Netanyahu? I do not like Why? Netanyahu. I thought you did. Really? I thought he was okay. What's wrong what? with him? Huh? Well, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him is he will do anything that's politically expedient for him. He supports settlements. Like I, I do not support him. I'm a lefty. What does that mean? He supports settlements. I don't know what that means. Meaning, like he's not he's he's not making peace with the Palestinians and making a border that is an internationally recognizable border that we can all live with. Instead, he's like mucking the waters by like putting Jewish settlements in different places in the West Bank and allowing that to happen. And wait, wait, I don't know because I've always been confused about this. What's wrong with putting Jewish settlements in the West Bank? How does that affect? I know that's a big deal, but I don't understand what because the problem is. Because the land that's is. going to be Palestine at one point. It's going it's just, to be? Yeah. It's, we have to have a two-state solution. Listen, So you're Israel, up. Oh, I see. So the, that's, that's your... You want to have a two-state I solution. I do want to have a two-state solution. But then there's a whole other factor of people that do not. Right. So because he, we don't trust the Palestinians. Right. Listen. What happened in Gaza was really bad, and that could happen in the West Bank too, and that's going to be up to the Palestinian people to figure that out. But I do not want to be, I do not want to be an occupying force. See, I could be on both sides of that again. It's kind of very much like Trump in a way where I guess he wants to build the wall because we don't trust the Palestinians. It's just like Kirk not trusting the Klingons. I mean, it really is the okay. exact same thing. Can we stop now? No. Please. Well, you're angry at me? No, I'm not angry. I just, I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm just saying, I mean, some people are never going to trust in their lifetime the Palestinians. That's right. And, and what are you going to do? How do you, how do you change that? Around. Listen, here's what it comes down because to. Because even if you make the two state, is it, is it really, will the violence really stop? Or is know, it just going to give them, then you're going to give them the land and then it's just going to continue anyway? I want to have a defensible border that's, that's physically and morally defensible. And that's really important. Listen, here's the, here's the reality for Israelis, right? We can have two of three things. There can be greater Israel, meaning that it, the Israeli borders can be expanded wide to include the West Bank. We could have that. We could have a Jewish state. And we could have a democracy. Those are three things. We can have two of those three. We cannot have all three. So we need to choose which two they're going to be. When you put it that way, it seems completely fair. Yeah. You know Alan Dershowitz? I know of him. He has a thought, but I don't know which one it's for. I think he wants a Palestinian. I think he wants the two state. I was listening to him lecture, uh, but I can't remember which one he chose. I can't remember. I mean, like we're so far past realizing that, of course, we have to have a two state solution. We just have to do it. And it's going to hurt. We just have to make it happen. And you really feel that if you have the two state solution, it will solve a lot of killings. You do believe that with all your heart. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but it it's what has to happen. I don't live where you live. I'm not there on a daily basis. You know, Adar goes trust, in the army next summer. I don't trust Palestinians. I don't want him going, you know, into Palestinian houses in the middle of the night. It's not how we need to spend our time and our energy. We have a lot of good work we can do in the world. Let's have morally and physically defensible borders as best we can. And move on with like with being God's partners and making the world a better place. <sighs> Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> it's tough to implement, though. And that's the question. You know, it's like, 
you know, who's going to be the one that can step up and actually put it together. It's so difficult because it's always so divided. And it's always like 50-50. It's never like it's 75-25, right? Most people want a two-state solution. Most Israelis. Most Israelis. Yeah. Well, what do the Palestinians want? They want their own state. They just want, they want all of Israel, don't they? Aren't but they? many do, and that's, that's the problem. That's a major problem, and that's what makes everybody suspicious. Yeah. You know, I feel that way, too. I just Some don't. People, everyone, I don't you know, like it. Killing the Jews is a, um, it's like a, it's like a human pastime. <laughs> it's hard to give it's up. It's been going on for uh, way longer than we could even imagine. Okay, now, if you had the audio, I will be so impressed if you happen to have the audio for National Brotherhood Week. What's that? You don't know the song National Brotherhood Week? No. Tom Lehrer? No. I don't know it at all. Oh, it's really good. Are you going to find it? No, I have. Oh, here, I have this one. I put my lockers in the air sometimes. Say you know, spin the dreidel. Just want to celebrate for all the nights. <laughs> the Maccabees. The Maccabees. Yeah, you love them? They're great. <laughs> you know, it's that time of the year again. I guess start playing the Maccabees. Yeah, it's yeah. true. <laughs> it's almost Hanukkah. I always play, I always have a tell on my Hanukkah show. And um, we always play the Maccabees. And I also ask them always this question. And that's, you're from Israel. So let me ask you this. Um, what is your favorite Israeli football team? Is it the <laughs> Judean Rebels or, or not? Because they're they I think they won the Israeli Bowl last year. Uh-huh. They went undefeated. You didn't know. You know nothing about the Israeli Football League. You you live there in Israel. There's an Israeli Football League. Yeah. Uh, let me. Here are the final standings from last year. The Judean Rebels went nine and zero, um, and they beat the Tel Aviv Pioneers eight You're to one. You're making this up. I'm not making it up. And um, they won the Israeli Bowl eight. Hello. I have no idea. <laughs> Well, are you a big Haifa underdog fan? Is that why? They're called the Haifa. They have English names. Yeah. The, well, this one, the Ramad Hasharon Hammers. No. Hammers. The, what about the Jerusalem Lions? Are you fans of those? You must know a couple of the Jerusalem Lions. Like, maybe they're in the neighborhood, huh? some of the players. The Petacha Tikva Troopers. Petach Tikva. The Masquerite Batya Silverbacks, they only went three and seven last year, so they didn't have a good season. Maybe that's why you didn't know them. The Beersheba Black Swarm. Do you know the Jerusalem Kings went 0-9? Maybe that's why. Maybe because it's kind of like the Jets and the Giants, the Jets stink. And the Jets are the Jerusalem Kings who went 0-9, but the Giants and the Jerusalem Lions went 5-5. So that's not horrible, right? Can I take a nap? No, listen, how do you not know about the Israeli football? It's, it's run by Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, oh, your I hometown. Think like, this is people that we know whose son played. So you admit it. You do know about them. I think, Why yeah, do you I hate the Israeli Football me. League? Jews. Uh, yeah, right. They're the worst. The worst. <laughs> well, listen, kid, I can't thank you enough for coming to the show. 
to coming to my house in the rain, in a horrible rain, you know, in a driving rain. But I will never forget our time together. (laughs) No, it's really been, it's always lovely to see you. I love you, Jessica. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thank you for putting up with my lack of knowledge of things. But I am (laughs) a true American, unfortunately, and um, you're going to have to deal with people like me all the time that are uninformed and confused and not as knowledgeable as the other people that, you know, probably have the right ideas. And uh, I apologize for that. <laughs> but My uh, dad has a, a friend who's a Republican. He said, you know, my friends who are Democrats are a lot smarter, so you're probably right. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I usually feel that way, too. But what can I do? I mean, Sarah knows why I became a Republican. I've said it on the show too many times to talk about. It's all because of family ties with Michael J. Fox. The important thing is that we're all together. And, uh, <laughs> Susie, thank you so much. The book is Casting Lots. You're speaking, when you go on lectures, you're speaking about the book, Casting Lots. And the Organization for Adoption. And the Organization for Adoption. You can, um, you're at, Community at Rabbi Ad- Susan or at Just Adopt. At Rabbi Susan. At R-A-B-B-A Susan. Or it's, or it's communityadoption.org. Right. And um, it's all a good cause, and Susie's the best. And to um, make sure that we all know about international adoption and how important it is to do is the most important thing of all. So, Susie, yes. thank you so much for coming. Bye. I love you. Love you.